We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Road of His Best Ball Series. I'm your host, Kyle Dvorak. You can find me on Twitter at FFKyleTheKid. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Raybon, who you can follow at Chris Raybon. Thanks for joining me, Chris. How's it going? What's up, Kyle? Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, start off this 2018 season talking about some plays. You know, it's it's only February, but I'm sure the uh, the people listening will appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I haven't gotten super deep into best ball yet, so I'm excited to pick your brain on a lot of these questions we have going. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. I've uh, I've been kind of doing some research over these last few days and uh, got my little draft list all made up on, on draft about 200 players deep. So uh, ready to talk about some things. Oh, I love that. All right. So I think my first question has to be, Coming from a DFS or even just a standard season-long background, uh, players who come from those areas might not see the win rate statistic very often. How do you use that in a best ball context? Well, win rate is interesting. So for the people that don't know, it's essentially just how what percentage of the time uh, a player um, is included on a roster that wins the first prize in a contest. So usually in reference to MFL 10s, which of course are now moved over to fan ball. But I think you want to use that to do a couple of things and one is it can kind of inform your draft strategy in terms of which positions to wait on and also how much risk to take depending on what round you are drafting in so in terms of which positions 
to wait on. You can kind of look at the win rates by position. And I know on Rotoviz, Mike Beers actually did an article a couple of weeks ago where he went over the win rates for each position and he has them listed in a table in the articles. And you can kind of see that quarterbacks and tight ends and also defense special teams, um, though the win rates for, for those guys weren't as spread out. They were more jumbled together. So for example, the highest win rate for a quarterback was 16%. The highest for a tight end was 14%. And the highest for a, highest for a defense was 14%. Whereas the highest for a running back was 31%. And the highest for a wideout was 20%. So at the positions where, you know, quarterback, tight end, where it's not as spread out, you can kind of say, okay, well, I can feel a little more comfortable uh, waiting on some of these positions. Um, these positions aren't necessarily going to make or break my draft as much as hitting on uh, running backs and wide receivers, players that are going to score points in that flex position. And then in terms of how much risk to de- uh, to take, Mike also talks about how the first four rounds, rounds one to four, had a lot more players that were making or breaking rosters. So he looked at players with win rates either 12% and above or 5% and below. And in rounds one through four, he found that there were 18 such players last season. Now in rounds five through eight, there were only 10. Uh, Rounds nine through 12, there were only five. Rounds 13 to 16, there were eight. And rounds 17 to 20, these were five. Now this is using MFL 10 data from last year, but you can kind of see that rounds one through four are very high leverage rounds. And in those rounds, not only can you find players that are going to make or break your season in a positive way, but also in a negative way. So you really kind of want to be drafting a lot more safely, I think, in those first four rounds, because if you can just avoid those players that are going to torpedo your team, you're going to kind of you're going to either get a kind of player that's not going to have much of an effect uh, either way, or you're going to get a player that's going to give you a really good chance at winning. And and that's what you really want. So you kind of want to avoid the landmines in those first four rounds, maybe the fifth round as well, depending on the season and the, the landscape. But then as you get down past those first four rounds, I think this is something that I think is a key for a lot of people, whether you're a new or a seasoned player, a good strategy is to just, you can diverge from ADP a lot more in those rounds and feel comfortable doing it. Because if you look at the win rates, there are a lot of win rates that are kind of similar and there's only a few that kind of stand out. So you you really want to kind of be swinging for the fences a little more and be not afraid to uh, take some more risks as you get further and further down in the draft. I think there's three big things for me in terms of how my best ball approach is going to differ from my seasonal approach. And number one is it's in best ball. I'm looking for talent a lot more. I'm factoring in talent more. I'm also factoring in, as you just alluded to, durability more because I cannot drop those players that get injured from my roster. So I'm going to have to favor players that I think can make it through a whole season. And also I'm going to have to be thinking a little bit more about upside over the course of the season and over a longer term than I would in season one where I have roster management where I can kind of draft based on, okay, who's starting right now? Who's going to get the snaps right now? Not really worrying as much about if he's going to be able to hold on to that job in best ball. 
I now I have to look at and find the players that I think may have roles now that I don't think they can hold on throughout the season and then also figure out, okay, who's going to benefit from that? Which players then do I think are, can earn a bigger role kind of based on their talent? So I think it's a lot more talent centric when you're talking about your best ball approach. And also you just really need to, to, to try to, to get a little more durability in your lineup. Yeah, I think the depth of your roster has to play into that now that you have these deep rosters, but you don't get to manage them at all. You get to look for that talent because, like you said, beginning of the season, you know who's going to play, but throughout the middle of the season, injuries happen, and that talent gets a chance to shine through. With this in mind, uh, does this lend you to any specific draft strategy, any zero RB or even zero wide receiver? I come into a draft willing to use any strategy, but I think at the end of the day, you really have to let the value in the draft kind of dictate how you're going to draft and what positions you're going to draft and just what players you're going to draft. I think you want to be familiar with, okay, where are the value pockets in the draft at each position and, you know, where, when should you draft each position just based on those win rates that we discussed earlier. So I don't really like to come into a draft wanting to use uh, or aiming to use something like zero RB or zero wide receiver because those strategies are pretty extreme and they're, attempting to get an edge in a certain kind of way. And they work best when no one else is really using them, first of all. And I think at this point, they're pretty popular. And also those strategies are based on data from the prior season. And it's kind of doesn't always reflect the landscape of the new season. You know, you can have a lot of variants. You could have things like, you know, we saw running back scoring a lot more touchdowns or things like that. Or you just have certain players at the top of the board in one season at a certain position that might not be there in another position like this year, we have a lot more running backs high up and some of the stud wide receivers, at least right now in the ADP that I'm looking at on draft um, has been lower. So everything's going to kind of change from year to year. And I think you really just want to kind of more so than lock in on a particular strategy. You just want to find the, the value in the draft and, and build a pretty balanced team and figure out the best way to maximize your chances at winning that way, then try to gain a so-called edge from these strategies, which at the end of the day, um, again, they're going to be kind of uh, neutralized a bit by the fact that they are gaining popularity. And also they're not necessarily going to allow you to make the optimal move based on the value that's available on the board in your particular draft. I definitely agree with that. I think uh, what you're saying about popularity is really important. We saw zero RB take off in the past two years, and not only did that drive wide receiver ADP up, but then in turn they also had two really bad years. So I think that's really important that you say that. Chris, I know you were saying you're looking for value, but have you found any success with any certain draft strategies or I guess roster structure specifically, like say uh, the hyperfragile 3 RB or uh, a certain number of QBs you're going for? Yeah, I think that's actually a good distinction that you brought up, the difference between simply a, a draft strategy and then a roster construction strategy, which roster construction strategies, and they can kind of lend themselves to particular draft strategies, but roster construction strategies, I think, are more important, and that's just kind of how many of each position do you want to draft. I think that when I go into a draft, I generally have a framework and it leaves a, a little bit of flex flexibility. So for example, if I'm doing say an 18 team best ball, uh, 18 man best ball league on draft where there's 18 roster spots, excuse me, I might say, okay, I want, you know, at least two quarterbacks, at least five running backs, at least eight wideouts and at least two tight ends. And then I'll have, you know, one, one extra roster slot where I can say that's up that that's going to just kind of depend on the value that's on the board. Maybe it'll, maybe I'll take a quarterback. Maybe I'll take a runner back. Maybe I'll take a wider. It really kind of just depends on 
how the value falls to me. If let's say three quarterbacks fall to me in the middle rounds that I think are great values, I'll take that third quarterback and I'll still have that flexibility to kind of uh, satisfy what the the minimum requirements that I wanted to have at other positions. Um, so that's kind of how I generally approach it. You know, in MFLs last year, I was kind of doing a similar thing where I wanted, you know, two quarterbacks and two tight ends. And usually I would have, you know, either three defenses or three tight ends or three quarterbacks, but, you know, only one, I would only want to have three at one of those positions and kind of weave, uh, you know, kind of weave some flexibility there as to which it would be just depending on how the value felt to me in the draft. So um, that's kind of more of how I approach it. I will say in terms of just the overall draft strategy, I think, the one that tends to work for me, especially at this early juncture in the offseason in best ball is simply the late round quarterback strategy of just you really want to kind of stock up on those players that are going to be able to give you a good amount of points in that flex position and that therefore you know quarterbacks can't use them in the flex so they take on a little bit of a decreased importance and then tight ends aren't usually scoring as many points as other positions so uh, those guys take on a little bit uh, decreased importance too, although not as much as quarterbacks because you still can use a tight end in the flex, but I'm um, just kind of waiting on those quarterbacks because um, at this point in the season, there are about, I would say about 20 to 23 to 24 quarterbacks that you can say, okay, these guys are going to be starters next season. And I can, I can pretty much be assured of that where there's a lot less certainty at, at, at some of the other positions at this point to where you probably want to, to kind of hammer those guys early and then just make as long as you're getting kind of quarterbacks that you feel you know that that can give you something that are going to you know on part pace to give you 16 16 starts or 15 starts uh that that's kind of what you want to do now so that's kind of the strategy I use more than anything is just filling up those running back and those wide receiver positions and it differs depending on the year too in the draft because this year and at this point in the offseason for example running back falls off a cliff really quickly so of course right now where we are now I'm going to kind of be looking to, to grab some running backs, a lot of running backs early, and then I'm going to pivot to wide receiver because those are kind of the next guys that really fall off, whereas you have some quarterbacks, you have some tight ends that are you're getting a lot of discounts on based on their injury history or whatnot. So there, there's some there's a lot more value, I think, at this point right now on, uh, to wait on these quarterbacks and these tight ends simply because there's a lot of uncertainty at, at running back um, and wide receiver. Yeah, definitely. I definitely see that. We'll be right back. Before we get back, I need to remind you you can get your subscription to a Rotoviz NFL Pass right now for 30% off. It's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools and supports the pod. Be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL Pass at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. I'm back with Chris Raybon of 444, the DFS MVP podcast, and a lot more. You alluded to your 2017 season. So during the season, who were your highest owned players and what was your rationale for them? Quarterback, it was Tom Brady. And that's, that was kind of interesting because that goes a little bit against my usual strategy of, you know, going a lot of rate, late round quarterback. But, uh, I did get most of my exposure to Brady earlier in the offseason. Um, when I just kind of said, okay, I'm going to actually kind of, I just thought Brady was in a position to have a monster season. This was before Edelman went down or whatnot. So that was kind of my rationale there. I just thought he could have a really uh, historic season. I thought he was the one quarterback worth taking. Uh, you know, and not waiting for it. So um, I had quite a, quite a lot of Brady. And then besides that, it was kind of just split up between a lot of uh, late round quarterbacks. Uh, worked out decently. Um, nothing too special. I think Brady's win percentage was kind of mediocre. Um, at running back, it was Todd Gurley and Mike Gillisley. So Gurley obviously worked out 
really well. The rationale there was just that I just thought Gurley actually had the, the fewest warning signs, or I guess that was kind of contrary to what a lot of people believe. But I thought, you know, even in a, a what was a really horrible season for him, he had a, a really high floor. He reached 70 yards and I think it was double digit games. And I just thought that, you know, a lot of the concerns were alleviated with him getting a new offensive line, his offense and quarterback couldn't really be any worse you know Jeff Fisher was gone McVay wanted to use him more in the passing game just all these things were kind of coming together to where I thought you know he didn't have that as many warning signs as a guy like maybe a Jordan Howard who you know who had questions in the passing game Jay Ajayi same thing kind of inconsistent with Sean McCoy going into the new scheme there were just a lot of uh, question marks surrounding some of these guys so I liked him but on the flip side Mike Gillisley that one didn't work out as well at start I think he had a, a really good first game where he scored three touchdowns but rationale there was just the Patriots running back uh every year they, they've kind of been in the top of the league in rushing touchdowns and we saw that with LeGarrette Blount the year before so um just trying to capitalize off that but uh failed to kind of I wrote an article actually in the preseason about all the Patriots running backs and about how Bill Belichick was constructing his roster in such a way where he wanted all his running backs to kind of be able to do multiple things and that's why he got Rex Burkhead because not only could he run and catch but he could play special teams but um kind of overlooked the fact that uh, maybe he wanted to kind of go away from that 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 blunt type of back period to where Gillisley was that one guy that couldn't catch the ball as well and that turned out to be I think his downfall more so than just the fact that he had a fumble or whatnot in the middle of the season I think just the fact that you couldn't really put him out there on passing downs and then hurry up as much um that kind of torpedoed his value um at wide receiver my highest owned were Tyreek Hill uh, Kenny Britt and Cooper Cup so Tyreek Hill I just thought his talent was amazing and I thought the, his new role as the number one wideout was going to give him a high floor and a high ceiling because he was catching a lot of short passes in addition to breaking off some big plays. Kenny Britt was a, a huge miss for me. I, I just thought that, um, you know, he couldn't really, it couldn't really get any worse than it was that year in Los Angeles with Case Keenum and then Jared Goff under Jeff Fisher and just having that historically bad offense. And he still put up really good numbers and actually better, more efficient numbers than Terrell Pryor. And he'd actually been pretty durable over these last few years. So it was just kind of a bet on being the Cleveland Browns number one wide receiver. Unfortunately, uh, the Browns regressed. Nothing really worked out. The offensive line never really uh, came together to, to help Deshaun Kaiser, who was a lot worse than even Cody Kessler was the year before. Um, and then Cooper Cup was just kind of that late round dart throw stab that I thought, you know, there was a lot of rumblings in the preseason about how he could kind of take over. He could lead the Rams in catches. And uh, a lot of people just thought he was very NFL ready. And I kind of agreed. I thought that at the time the Rams didn't have Sammy Watkins. So I thought Cooper Cup had a really good shot at at leading the team and receiving, even though he didn't exactly do that. I think it was Robert Woods. Um, decent value for that weight round um, ADP that he was at. And then at tight end, Eric Ebron and Travis Kelsey. Uh, Kelsey, for obvious reasons, you know, I just thought that Gronk's cost was a little a little bit steep, but Kelsey, you could get him usually a little later. And I like the idea of having that stud tight end. I thought just all those those hundred yard games that Kelsey had put up the, the season before, I thought just gave him a lot of upside and I thought he could repeat it. And Ebron, he was a guy who he started really slow. I thought that he could take over the Anquan Bolden role in that offense and it didn't go so well for maybe the first 10 games of the season uh, Ebron did kind of rebound down the stretch and provide some value but that was the big kind of rationale uh, for me in terms of some of my highest owned plays from a season ago yeah like you said Cooper Cup is definitely uh you said he he panned out all right it's like we talked about earlier though it's the the opportunity cost if you were high on Cooper Cup it, it didn't really hurt you that he only played all right whereas if he had gone off it's really helpful so I think that just 
gets back to what you said earlier about the uh, the not-so-necessary diversification at the end, whereas at the beginning it's really important. In terms of other strategy perspective, are there any areas that you'd like to hear the best ball community talk more about or things that we think you think we are overemphasizing? Yeah, I think people need to talk a little more just about the kind of the pockets of value in, you know, in a given year, in a given draft and kind of opposed to just these strategies and, oh, should you be using zero RB or zero wide receiver or whatnot? I think you should, people should really just be talking about, okay, well, there's about 10 running backs that I would take. And then there's, you know, five, five receivers. And then, you know, there's, I don't, after the running back 24, I don't really like another, you know, I don't really think you should be taking another running back for another, you know, 24 picks because there's no real value in this pocket and whatnot. I think that would be a lot more interesting. And I'm hoping it will increase just because now that we've introduced uh, another player into this best ball uh, game in terms of uh, draft and the draft app, they have uh, best ball leagues of different sizes. So it's not just the conventional 12 man best ball league that MFL 10s offered. You also have 10 man leagues, three man leagues, I believe six man and eight man leagues as well. So with that, you can't just kind of apply these blanket strategies as well. It's a lot more about ADP and about value and about where the value is falling at each, each position at different points in the draft. So I'd like to see that talked about more and i think we also need to talk just more about and this kind of comes from playing dfs you notice this a lot more but players upside in a given game versus his upside in terms of season-long projected points or whatnot because in best ball if you look at even the win rates from a season ago you'll start to see that the players with uh, higher spiked win rates above average win rates those are the players that they might have just had a string of big games not necessarily that they were all season so I think we need to talk about, okay, what is a player's upside in a given game? You know, is it, you know, 150 yards and two touchdowns? Is it a guy that might get a lot of catches, 10 catch upside, but not really much yardage upside? Like we need to kind of look at that in terms of, okay, how, what, what's his upside in a given game? And then how many games in a season can we reasonably, reasonably project? that player to to hit that kind of upside because that's the thing that's really going to win you in these best ball leagues is having players with these spiked weeks and um kind of getting uh as many of those spiked weeks as you can so a lot of times we think of players you know okay well you know this guy is projected for 200 points over the season and this guy is at 195 and this guy's at 190 and and, and whatnot whereas in reality i find it uh, a lot uh, more illuminating sometimes to say okay you know, I'm, I can, I think I want to, I can project this player for, you know, eight big games. And, you know, obviously you have to have some kind of threshold for that and it's going to be arbitrary. So it, 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 it is still, you know, it's, but in terms of just thinking about how we talk about, um, best ball strategy, I think we should look at, you know, the type of games players are having a lot more. It's not just simply, um, you know, uh, okay, a player is projected for one more point per game over the season. So that makes him a better pick and I'll have him ranked higher. It's, it's more, you know, how many games can I expect? this player to hit, you know, 15 points. And, you know, if, if X, Y, and Z happens, then um, how many times could I expect that? You know, that's how you might be able to find, you know, backup running backs, for example. You, you want guys who can catch the ball because if, if guys are going to kind of put up certain types of games in a PPR, even a half PPR format, they're probably going to need to catch the ball a lot. Um, and, and, and guys that can catch the ball, you never know. They could always end up in a featured role because they might be playing more on early downs 
you know, that happened for a while with Chris Thompson in Washington or something like that. So um, you want to kind of look at just players on a more, you know, game by what, what, how many games of what type can this guy give me rather than just thinking about it in terms of, you know, season long projections and these projections that don't really mean a whole lot in the scheme of things because they, they differ by so little as you go down your rankings list that, um, you know, it's, it's not probably going to be the optimal way to, to pick players unless you have just these like super accurate, amazing uh rankings which are you you're really not going to because there're going to be so many things that happen during the season that you can't account for injuries and whatnot and remember you can't change your roster you can't just shuffle a player out when his role changes or whatnot so you kind of really have to think of like upside in terms of how how many points in a given game and then upside in terms of how many games can he give me that kind of upside in a given season yeah i love that chris thompson example because i i guarantee you by the end of the season his stats aren't mind-boggling he's not putting up crazy numbers in terms of just raw raw yardage raw touchdowns but we saw that he has the ability to put up these crazy single games and do it a few times throughout a season whereas uh, a player ranked similar to him may not have that single game upside another thing i want to ask you about is uh, a popular question for people who are starting out in best ball is how much do you worry about your exposure to specific players and do you ever think about uh, dealing with over diversification I don't worry about my exposure to specific players much at all, actually. I pay attention to it. I'm aware of it, but I don't really worry about it too much or try to manipulate it. I think there's one key place where you want to uh, try to manipulate your exposure, and that's when you have players ranked equally and they play the same position usually. So if you don't have that, I mean, there's then you're just kind of – now what you're letting you happen is you're letting exposure and your own portfolio and things that aren't related to the value in this particular draft, things that are, that are totally unrelated, you're letting that affect your decisions with, when they're really completely irrelevant. Like whether you own a player, you know, 30% or 5% shouldn't have an effect on what his value is in a given draft. Now, again, unless you have two players ranked pretty much the same. So for example, last season, I think, I had, uh, you know, Julio Jones and Odell Beckham. I said, okay, you know, these guys to me, they're pretty much ranked the same. Like I don't really, there's not really a big difference between Julio and Odell to me. So if I would get the fifth or fourth pick or whatever it was, and, you know, I had maybe, you know, had drafted Odell five times, but I didn't have Julio yet, you know, I, I might, okay, now I'll, I'll draft Julio if I can get the chance. If I have the choice between these two guys, I'll draft Julio the next few times just to kind of balance that exposure because, I feel that these guys are rate or rated equally and ranked equally. But uh, absent of that, I don't really see a big need to uh, over manipulate it because I think in the early rounds, you're going to kind of naturally get a diversified roster just be- the way the, the draft order shakes out. And, you know, you're not going to just get a chance to pick Le'Veon Bell in all of your drafts because your, your draft order is not going to shake out like that. And, um, and, and late in the draft, I mean, it, it's you kind of, as you mentioned, you don't have to necessarily diversify as much I, in, in these best ball leagues unless you're playing in like a 50 50 you're shooting for the top and you want to kind of maximize your ceiling and while i think manipulating exposure and kind of saying i don't want to have you know more than x amount of a player or or less than x amount of a player i think what that helps is with is it kind of raises your floor you're not gonna you're not gonna get killed by any one player but at the same time it's also 
capping your ceiling to an extent because if you're right on a certain player, if you have a, a cap on exposure, then you're not going to be able to benefit from that as much as you otherwise would. So that's why I really don't like um, the idea of kind of precisely manipulating exposure beyond just using it um, to your advantage in situations where there's not really any downside, um, such as, again, just when you have two players ranked equally. And that's why it's also important to have tiers. I should have uh, alluded to this before, but you should. Have, it's important to have tiers and not just straight up rankings because there's going to be a lot of situations where there's value in certain positions. And within that, you know, you're going to have maybe five, ten guys that are projected very similar similarly. And if you're trying to, you know, split hairs over decimal points or whatnot in terms of your projections over a few projected points or however you're ranking these players, um, that, that's usually not optimal. You got to kind of be aware of the situations where you do have guys ranked pretty equally. And in those situations, yes, you want to kind of uh spread out your exposure but otherwise you should be letting the draft uh, dictate and, and the value on the board dictate your picks and if you keep ending up with a certain guy because people keep letting him fall to you and and you feel like that's a good value then you should be uh overweight on that player because that's what's going to give you an edge so um you know i think if you if you're p- paying too close attention to you know your exposure it's almost like you're not only uh, ha- competing with your other the other drafters in the room now you're also competing with your own portfolio and you're just going to to complicate things and it's probably going to be suboptimal so by the sound of it i'm guessing you're never worried about over diversifying uh well i'm not i'm never worried about you know i'm never worried about having too much exposure i'm worried about over diversifying in the sense of i don't want to have you know diversification just for the sake of diversification i rather i rather just have a, a lot of exposure to the players I like than just diversify just to, to get exposure to, to everybody or, or or just because I feel like there's you know a certain cap on exposure I should have I never want to do that the only place I really want to do that is again when I have a bunch of players or even just two players ranked equally and I get the opportunity to choose between both of them and I can kind of manipulate it so that opportunity might never come I mean I might have you know Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey ranked equally, but, you know, I get Kelsey five times and I never really get the opportunity to, to, to take Ertz where I have Ertz versus Kelsey and I can take either one. So, um, you know, you might not even get the opportunity, but if I get the opportunity and I have guys ranked equally, then I'll spread out my exposure. But otherwise, I'm just trying to get the best value on the board. And if I end up, you know, overweight or underweight on players, then I'm just going to, you know, chalk it up to, okay, well, that's the way that the, the draft dictated. That's the way the value um, kind of played out and according to, to how I value players and according to how the draft was going. I think that's how you want to play it to really um, maximize your own upside in terms of winning these things. I think you can, again, you could probably raise your floor in terms of the amount of points your team scores by kind of capping your max exposure and, and limiting your min exposure. But that's not necessarily going to give you winning teams. That might just give you teams that finish like sixth, seventh, and, and eighth, and fifth a lot. But that's not necessarily going to uh, maximize your ceiling. Mm-hmm. So uh, 2017 season, you gave me a lot of your high ownership percentages. Give me your best call from the season. I mean, it, it had to be Todd Gurley as the RB three behind uh, DJ and, and, and Le'Veon. And that's just because, you know, I think 
Gurley did. He had the highest uh, win rate. So, I mean, just picking Gurley over some of the other running backs in the first round or, or making sure to pick Gurley anytime I could in the second round, I think, you know, that ended up being a league winner um, for me. So, you know, that was that was uh, by far, I think, the best call, even though there was some maybe some some values later on, you know, guys like Cooper Cup, who you could get maybe in the 20th round, even in certain at certain points of the season. But um, just Gurley for the fact that he, he ended up having such a high uh, winning percentage. Yeah, you were high on the highest winning percentage player. It's Don't get cute. That's your best call for sure. Uh, so let's say you walk into a time machine right now. You can't tell yourself to get 100% on Gurley. Go back to the <laughs> day you started playing best ball. What, what are you going to tell that, Chris? I would say, and this is a, you can use this strategy in redraft as well, but I would say just walk through the draft backwards. And what I mean by that is look at the ADP, look at the average draft position, and start at the last round and look and say, okay, what what players and at what position uh, are, are players that that have value here? Who would I feel comfortable drafting in this round? So if we're talking uh, an 18 round draft best ball league, I'll, I'll look at the 18th round and I say, okay, what players are available with the ADP in the 18th round or later? And you know, where's the value at? And usually, you know, right now anyway, there will be some wide receivers that I think have some value. So I'll say, okay. I can, I can, I feel comfortable. I can get, a, I can get a wide receiver late and I feel comfortable, you know, drafting a wide receiver in this last round more than any other round. Then go to the 17th round and, and do the same thing in the sixth. And it, that can kind of inform your draft by just kind of building your draft and planning your draft from the bottom up rather than from the top down, which is, I think, another problem with some of these, uh, more extreme strategies like the zero RB, uh, you know, any, pretty much any running back strategies. These are all early round strategies that are kind of, Dic- you're dictating your draft by what you're doing in the early round and you're kind of following a somewhat rigid strategy in the early round. Whereas I think it's better to dictate your draft starting from the bottom up and, and figuring out where's the value at the end and then working your way back up. And that's going to really teach you about opportunity cost and about where, where you need to kind of be aggressive to draft a certain position where you can feel comfortable waiting because it's going to be value later on. So I think that's a really kind of a savvy strategy uh, to use. And that's what, what I would tell myself because, um, you know, it's, it, you know, building from the, the bottom up, it's going to really, it's going to kind of give you a shortcut to, for example, the people that, the, the reason that people say to mock draft a lot and, and recommend that is because if you do it enough, you're going to get a lot of experience at the middle and the end of drafts and you're going to keep replaying these scenarios in your head. And eventually you're going to kind of come to those same conclusions about what to do, you know, you're gonna you're gonna let your experience with weight in the draft kind of inform your strategy earlier in the draft so by just going and just walking through it from the bottom up you can kind of take a shortcut to doing that and kind of gain a lot of experience and gain a lot of the things that people that would have probably put in a lot more time and a lot more drafts um doing to get that experience you're you're kind of taking a shortcut by just kind of walking through it from that perspective so i really like the idea of just a bottom up uh draft strategy Walk through your draft backwards. That is great advice. That will also be the show title. So let's say, Chris, <laughs> let's say, hypothetically, you're talking to someone who hasn't played hundreds of best ball leagues. Maybe they didn't have great success last year. Maybe maybe you're talking to them right now. Uh, what's one way this hypothetical person could improve their best ball game? Well, if they played, if, they've, if they have any experience playing, if they played even a, a few leagues last year, I'd say one of the best things to do is just study your own hits and misses and then apply it forward. And if you didn't play in any leagues last year, if this is if you're completely new, I would say get a list of the 
the average draft position in best ball from last year and then and study the hits and hits and misses that way because again it's not about you know it's it's kind of with these strategies it's not about kind of having this rigid strategy and you know i'm going to take no running backs in the first four rounds because it's it's more about just kind of it's a, it's always about the players you pick i think any strategy can work if you pick the right players it's so cliche but it's so true if you pick the right players i mean if you if you don't draft running backs for the first five rounds but then you know last year let's say you hit on you know alvin kamara and you know a bunch of those guys late um you would be fine so i think and even even though that zero running back overall didn't necessarily work as well there there was ways that you could have had a strong roster with zero running back if you picked the right players so i think it's important to just look at the average draft position or look at the players you selected each year and say okay you know what about if if, if you were too high in a player or adp was too high in a player say you know why why was why were they too high in this player and how is there any similar situations from this year that i need to look out for how can i apply that forward and the same thing for players that adp missed on or that you missed on just okay why didn't what 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 stood in the way of me drafting this player what stood in the way of the 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 masses drafting this player higher and then kind of look out for those situations um you know this season and and i think that's really that's really going to to help you a lot more than than anything else just really get familiar with the players um with the situations um and 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 and, you know earl and also be be prepared to shift your draft strategy depending on the time of year that you're drafting for example right now um, we don't even know where the rookies are going to go there's not a lot of certainty so you have to kind of you're probably going to be a little more aggressive in drafting the 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 running backs that you think you know that that are still kind of you can be certain are going to get a a fairly large workload and then after that same thing with wide receivers but then you know after that you know when you're in the later rounds it's you're probably just drafting more on talent because you really don't know how a lot of these depth charts will shake out whereas a little later in the year now you can switch it up a little more and now you can say well you have a lot more information about who's going to play what role and you can use that information now to as i talked about before to say okay well you know do i think this player is going to be able to hold this job all year or year long or do i think another player who's uh maybe more talented is going to eventually win this job and you can kind of react accordingly but um i think you really do have to pay attention to the time of year you're drafting and you know even right now for example uh, i think something interesting is that with as, as much uncertainty as there is at running back i mean you, you go outside the top maybe 20 25 running backs right now and there's just it's almost like throwing darts you know before you even get you know outside the top you know you know 40 and so it's like you could you could have a strategy where you might draft less running backs at this point in the year uh just because you're saying you're going to kind of say okay well i think every roster in my league is going to be somewhat weak at running back due to all the uncertainty so if if, you know maybe i'll cut my losses and i might draft maybe i'll be drafting three quarterbacks and three tight ends in these early drafts and then as we get more information and we know more later on in the year maybe then i'll pivot to uh, you know, drafting more running backs or, or whatnot when I feel like I can get a bigger edge like that. So I think, you know, just be willing to kind of shift your strategy uh, according to the time of the year and, and the information that you have uh, at that given point. You alluded to there a little bit, the 2018 coming season. I know you won't be going any hardcore zero RB or zero wide receiver. So maybe in the 2018 season, where do you see some of these pockets of value forming or where do you expect them to form maybe going into the next season? Well, so what I've been messing, I've been messing around with the draft app and just kind of playing some of the best ball leagues on there and, um, kind of pre-ranking my players. And so as of right now, and of course this is going to change, but as of right now, um, it, as we record this, I see the, at the top of the draft, I think 
I see running backs is the best values. I think that the some of the stud wide receivers getting pushed down a little bit in terms of ADP. Uh, I think it's it's warranted. I know that you know a guy like Antonio Brown could always have a season that could leave him as the number one overall fantasy play, but I just think just at this point in the year with the uncertainty where if you don't get you know two three of these top twenty four running backs, you're you're it's going to be really tough to kind of find running back value at this point. You're, it's it's going to be a lot riskier i think you know the pockets of value is kind of running backs in these first uh in the first 50 picks i think you kind of want to tend toward toward running backs and then as you get from maybe pick 50 to pick about 80 or 90 i think that's there's some really good wide receiver value in there and then you know from when you start to get into those if you're in a you know from picks about 90 you know those next few rounds i think that's kind of that the middle of the draft if you're doing like a 10 or a 12 teamer uh that's that's where the quarterback and the tight end value kind of comes in you know instead of re- really going for maybe like a Tom Brady or a, a Russell Wilson or somebody like that or Travis Kelsey i think you want to try to get those guys kind of on the swing of like, you know, those guys ranked around the top 10, you know, maybe you get like two guys ranked in the top 15, two guys in in the, in the top 20 rather than kind of going with a stud and uh, you know, in a scrub, but at running back, I think it's more of a barbell approach where you want to kind of get as many of those guys that you can still count on early. And then after that, I think you want to kind of hold off and then just draft them more toward after you kind of shore up your uh, quarterback and your tight end, you can kind of go back to the running backs and whatever spots you still need to fill, just kind of take guys with that. You just like their talent guys that you think, uh, you know, guys that can catch some passes and whatnot. And you, who might not have a uh, kind of uh, definite roles right now, but just have some really good talent. And that wide receiver, I think wide receiver at this point, just because of the sheer number of them. Um, I think wide receivers, you can kind of wait till the end to to fill out your the rest of your wide receivers uh you know in the last few rounds of the draft I think there's still plenty of wide receivers whether you're talking about guys that you know younger guys that could that could end up breaking out just really under the radar guys um kind of maybe had rough season last year you know guys like Zay Jones or Corey Davis you got guys like Jakeem Grant just like speed guys who could you know they're not going to be predictable but they they could have big games and they've they've shown to do that a little bit in the past um guys like that like your, your your Marquise Goodwins of 2018 if you will so um, I think at wide receiver, really, that that's the position that you can wait to kind of fill it out. But I think, you know, it's kind of running back early, then wide receiver, then the two, you know, the, the one the onesie positions and then 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 kind of fill out, you know, back to running back and then finish out with with wide receiver because you're going to be able to find you know a bunch of guys like deep threats i mean you can you know guys that you know have low floors but high upside i mean you got good receivers like john brown who are going like outside the top 200 um jj nelson uh you just just a lot of guys at wide receiver that you know probably guys like keelan cole or you know talented guys that have flashed before that we don't know what their roles are going to be um a lot of these guys you can find you can still find late in draft. So I think, you know, after you get maybe your, your top, you, know, you try to get maybe four running backs, four wide receivers to start your draft. Then you kind of focus on the quarterback tight end. Then you kind of back, go back around and, and fill out the rest of your roster. But um, I think, you know, the last two, three wide receiver slots, um, you can find a lot of value just uh, just waiting uh, to the last rounds of the draft. I think that was really solid plan for going into 2018. One more question for 2018. Not on the show sheet, and you might play this close to the vest, but the DF- DFS MVP podcast begins with a rap song. Give me one artist you want to get on the show. One song you want to get on the show, or a song from an artist you want to get going into the next season. Hmm. 
Whew, I would say, I'll say a song. Hmm, that's a good one. Or an artist, or if you just want to play, get something from an artist. I think uh, artist, I'd have to go with my guy Gucci Man because uh, Gucci's one of my favorite artists. Um, he actually came out with a book, an autobiography. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I actually went to his book signing, got a, took a picture with him, and everything's a real cool guy. So um, you know, Gucci's not really uh, as throwback as we usually do on the podcast but um he's an artist that i still listen to a lot and he's been in the game for a while so um you know he's he's an artist that i I probably want to get on there awesome and do you have anything coming up any work you're doing that you'd like to plug oh yeah i mean just well if you guys could just follow me on twitter um i'll keep you guys updated that way but yeah i got a bunch of cool things coming uh this off season i'll probably put out some best ball rankings shortly i told you guys i've been kind of getting my top 200 list together so i'll i'll put that out uh, for you guys to uh kind of go through and, and get a head start on the season that is awesome i'm glad to hear definitely give chris Rabon at chris Rabon a follow i follow him and there's just the content that comes out just on his twitter alone is worth the follow and that's going to do it for today's edition of the Road of His Best Ball series. I'm Kyle Dvorak. I've been your host. You can follow me on Twitter at FFKyleTheKid. And again, special thanks to Chris Raybon. Find him and all his work at Chris Raybon. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Road of His Best Ball series. Please rate and review the Road of His podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at roadofhisradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at roadofhisradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Road of His by a 30% discount on the Road of His Radio homepage at roadofhis.com slash podcast. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.